Hey y'all, it's Dr. Chaz. Welcome to Black Matter Podcasts. Podcasts and social platform for Black queer femmes and all things Black dimensionalities. I'm coming to you live from my position as a Black academic postdoctoral fellow for the Center for Media at Risk at the Annenberg School for Communication in the University of Pennsylvania, aka I'm in Philadelphia for a year. If you listened to this show before, you know that I'm passionate about using media to center Black joy in all ways possible. I'm interested in how we talk about Black joy and just how we use the microphone to share stories and archive moments of joy that are shared between me and all of my amazing guests to this show. Through the course of the series, I hope that you get a moment to just reflect with me about joy through the spaces in Philadelphia that I encounter while I'm here for a year. Our first guest is Jolie Garrett, an actor who I met by chance doing something that we both love, sitting and just observing and kikiing about space and place in a gay bar. We talk about his life in Philadelphia, the gentrification of queer spaces in the city, and the linkages between the Black queer dance floor and the church. So without further ado, here's Black Matter Podcast, coming to you from the University of Pennsylvania in Philly. been a very long time since I've recorded. Um, since the last episode I've recorded, I have literally moved into a whole new zip code. So I want to say um, welcome back to, I guess, season three of Black Matter Podcast. Uh, she has been through some things the past uh, few months. But as always, I am very glad to be doing this podcast because a big part of this podcast or why I started this podcast is to use media making to center black joy. Now that I um, have come to a new city and I'm meeting new people, I'm thinking a lot about black joy and what brings me joy and how to find joy um, in new ways. I'm figuring out what all that means to this, this journey called life during a pandemic. But enough about me. I would like to welcome my new friend, my new guest, uh, Mr. Jolie. There we go. Can you hear that? Yay! All right, so Jolie, give us a little bit of tea about who you are. Well, good evening. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I am Jolie, and of course that means pretty in French or happy. And um, I like to think I'm a very happy person. And um, so people always want to know, how do you spell your name? What does it mean? I said, just think Angelina, but I had it first. (laughs) Um, I am a professional actor. I'm a performing artist, uh, which means many things. And um, I've been in Philadelphia for about 10 years now. And uh, before that, I lived in New York City, um, the Big Apple, and uh, learned many, many things about life and survival uh, from that. And um, so, yeah, that's who I am. I'm a performer. I'm a storyteller. I am a lover. And uh, I always say, you know, ask me an honest question and I'll give you the honest answer. Part of my research project and the work that I'm doing in the Center for Media at Risk at the University of Pennsylvania is thinking about black joy as a form of resistance. Right. So thinking about how when we choose joy in a world that um, constantly is subjecting is subjecting us to oppression um, and having us focus a lot on our survival 
right? In a state that doesn't always care about our joy or give black people the care that we deserve. I am very passionate and very interested in learning about um, the ways that black people experience joy. Because I think when we talk about our joy, we're able to kind of fill a lot of uh, knowledge gaps, um, not just in academia, but knowledge gaps in the world because of the lack of knowledge about the ways in which that black people experience joy and pleasure and intimacy. So tonight, um, as we sit in my kitchen, which, you know, the lineage of black kitchens throughout this world, right, are tend to be spaces of joy. I'm thinking about um, just so many kitchens across uh, this country that um, fuel and have uh, fed my black joy, right? So let's start it there. Tell me about a kitchen of someone in your life. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the aunties and the elders and the ancestors. Um, but tell me about a kitchen that, that sparks your joy. Oh, absolutely. You know, we always tend to gather in the kitchen when we want to discuss life issues. I want to start with my grandmother. I grew up in Texas and her name was Mamie. And uh, she was part black and part Native American. And the way I used to wake up in the morning is she took care of me when I was, uh, my, both, my parents were at work. And uh, she used to get up and get into the kitchen and she would cook um, homemade biscuits and sausages and eggs every morning. So that was my wake up call. I smelled those, the biscuits and the, and the sausage and I knew there was love in that kitchen. I didn't need an alarm clock. I just smelled breakfast. And, um, and she taught me so many things about cooking and about life and about patience and, um, and about spirituality. Mm. And um, it turns out that um, I always used to wonder why she was the first person at church to open the doors and turn on the heater and the air conditioning. Mm -hmm. And it's because um, when her husband died, he left her the land that the church was on. So in a way, that was her church, and it was something that she was very proud of. And um, when I was a kid, people used to ask me all the time. She lived across the street from the church, and they would say, um, my nickname was Jojo. And they would say, little Jojo, who lives in that white house across the street from the church? And I would say, just me, Grandmama, and the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so Texas, tell me more about, about Texas. Texas. All right. As everybody knows, Texas is a very red state. Mm -hmm. That's what I was asking. Um, very uh, Republican. Very, there is a lot of racism uh, there. But there's also a lot of wonderful things as well. Um, no, no place is good, all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. This was my birthplace. It was my home. And uh, I grew up there. I can remember specifically uh, when we talk about um, black joy. I remember specifically around fifth or sixth grade when they started to tell me it wasn't cool anymore for me to, to be friends with uh, my white friends. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I always wondered about that. And, and also the teachers when you would say to them, I want to be a fireman or a police officer or an actor, mm -hmm. when I grow up, they would say to you, well, don't you want to be like your father? In other words, they didn't want you to aspire to be anything greater than what your parents were. Mm -hmm. It was a psychological conditioning. Uh, lucky, luckily that I, uh, I grew out of and, um, and expanded from that. And now, um, when I look back on that, I understand 
uh, why it's so important for you to go other places and to experience how other people live. Because if you've only if you've only lived one place, then that's all you know. When I graduated from high school, I knew I wanted something bigger, uh, something grander, something um, more satisfying than what I had experienced. So I had an English teacher, and we were studying um, Macbeth, and we had uh, she we we had learned the dagger soliloquy, a monologue. And uh, I'd done the speech, and she said, I want you to stay after class. And I thought I'd done something terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she grabbed my hand, and she said, you must major in theater. And that's when I decided I was going to, uh, to go to New York and, uh, and study theater. And so the seed of ambition was planted. And so I go from rural Texas to the biggest city in the country. New York, right? <laughs> so you can imagine the culture shock. But it was something, uh, it was something that I, um, I needed, and I just uh, I grew and I expanded uh, in ways I never imagined. And, um, and that brings me here. I'm from a little town called Shelbyville, which if you've ever watched The Simpsons, I have. Shelbyville is Springfield's rival. Oh, really? <laughs> so that's sort of Shelbyville's claim to fame. Got it. And uh, so, yeah, Shelbyville, Texas. If someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Dr. Maya Angelou. We're back with our episode. I want to know... Um, I want to know more about you. I want to know how you got to Philadelphia. And I'm very interested in, um, through your perspective, uh, the ways in which you've experienced joy in Philadelphia through the arts. Because I understand that you are not only a theater connoisseur, you're also a theater, a performer. And so I would love to just hear stories about performing in Philly. Of course, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the men's that we've encountered. And I just want to hear um, some stories from you about performing in Philadelphia. Well, first of all, let me tell you how I got to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And since we're talking about black joy, what brought me to Philadelphia is coming out of a place of darkness. And by that, what I mean is that I was in New York and um, I was suffering from depression and I had not worked in quite some time. And my best friend, who is from Philadelphia, came to my apartment and he saw the condition that I was in. And he said, you're leaving New York today. Mm. He said, because if you don't, you will not make it out of this situation. Mm. He said, I want you to pack a bag. I've called my mother and she's waiting for you. And so that's exactly what I did. And that's what brought me to Philadelphia. And when I got down here, his mother met me at 30th Street Station. And uh, she drove me to a pizza parlor and we got a pizza and we rented some movies and we went to her home and she said, don't you worry about a thing. She said, I'm your mother now because my mother is deceased. And this woman nursed me back to health. And I experienced joy like I never had before because I had come from such a dark place. Mm -hmm. And especially with a lot of black men, we don't want to admit things like depression. Mm 
mm-hmm. because we think it's a sign of weakness. But it's actually a sign of strength to tell someone that you're suffering. And to share your story. And to share your story. Because you will find that there are other people who have experienced the same thing. And you're not alone. You are not alone. And that's what brought me to Philadelphia. And since I've come here, I've, I've thrived. One thing I do um, that's very important, I think, is when I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror and I say to myself, you are enough. Mm-hmm. And I smile. And when I do that, it just, it just lifts my spirit and it sets me up for the day to come. And I seize the day. And I know that whatever comes, I have the tools to, to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it's very important. As these dual pandemics of racism and disease compound to create even larger disparities within black communities, this is a unique and historical moment uh, that provides us an opportunity for the world to see America as we truly are. A story far from racial equality and much less racial harmony. This problem is not just uh, how the story has been told, but for whom uh, and by whom. And so in my, in my work of Black Joy, I think that joy helps us to bridge knowledge gaps. And I think that when we talk to black people about joy, it's not about um, erasing what we know as the struggle, right? Or the experiences that we've had uh, with depression or with, you know, finding a way out of no way, right? I think that there's just an opportunity to learn about black culture through the ways in which that we experience joy and pleasure. And so for you, what what does that kind of resonate when I talk to you about um, learning about black culture through a lens of joy? Um, this, a lot of this comes from the work that I do in mm-hmm. performing. I do a lot of classical work and, uh, a story I want to tell you about, like I was, I was doing a play in, um, Las Vegas. A lot of times when, when you see a black actor come out in these, um, a lot of the roles that I play, people, first of all, they're sort of like taken aback and then they start to listen. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do uh, a lot of Shakespeare. And, uh, and Shakespeare wrote, if music be the food of love, play on. And a lot of the language is very musical to me. And, uh, and just the sounds of the words make you feel a certain way. So I had done a show in Las Vegas. And a young African-American um, woman came up to me and she said, would you come over and meet my friends? And I said, yes, of course. And, uh, and then when she sat down, she said, she says, okay, everybody, he's here, he's here. And then she said, could you talk white again for us? And can I was, you, can you talk what? White. Mm-hmm. Not white, but white. white. <laughs> so I just thought that was, that was just a funny story that happened. And, and then the white people, they're like, oh, you were so good. Your people must be so proud of you. And I said to this lady, I said, you know, when I get back to Philadelphia, I'm going to tell them all what you said. Because <laughs> they'll come for you. What has it been like living in Philly for you uh, in terms of getting involved in the arts? Oh, it's, it's, been, very, um, it's been very rich. Philadelphia is a very um, um, archually, uh, uh, culturally uh, arts-rich community. Um, I was telling you earlier, I have a friend that plays in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so I have a chance to um, um, listen to a lot of classical music. Um, our first experience in classical music for a lot of, uh, of us is cartoons. 
and then you go and you hear the um the actual um compositions and you say oh i remember that i remember that and um so and then i've auditioned for a lot of companies here and i have a a show coming up this summer i'm going to be doing uh the tempest that's in uh, wilmington delaware and um it's a beautiful story about forgiveness mm-hmm. and uh, that's a very powerful theme learning how to forgive mm-hmm. um and um so yeah it's it's been very uh it's been very enriching for me when i thought about inviting you to the podcast it was because the way that we met was a very joyful experience i mean i was it was a Saturday. It was one of my first Saturdays kind of like out and free in Philly with, you know, no plans. You know, you're in a new city. You just want to go to the gay bars. Right. And, and I think as a black person in uh, gay bars in any city, right, there are gay bars and there are queer bars. Right. And when I, you know, we, you know, the distinction. Right. So I always am, am curious, like, where do the girls go? Right. G-U-R-L-S. Like, where are the girls? Where are the aunties? Where are the black femmes? Where, you know, where, where are we at? You know? And so I was sitting in the bar, uh, charging my phone or about to start charging my phone. And I asked this nice gentleman, um, if he knew where a charger was, that was you. And you said, oh, you can plug it in right here. And then we just started a talking. right? Right. And that's how I felt like, okay, the girls are here, right? This is this is a bar where everybody comes. And so I um I love that story and I love that experience because you were one of the first kind of strangers that I had talked to and felt like, okay, I would I would get a drink with them. And then we did. We we had a nice dinner and got to share some stories and just like talk about life, you know? And I um I think while I'm working in in higher education, it's especially when you're on a research fellowship, you know, you're only here for a year or two. And so often you can see the city or think that you're seeing the city through the experience of the university, you know? And so it is really important to me to make friends, intergenerational uh, friendships because of the ways that I think we, um, we learn so much, not only about the city, right? The city, the city of Philadelphia in particular, but I do think that, and I'm not trying to age you, but I do think that intergenerational friendships, um, help us to kind of access a type of archive, right? Because you hold a type of, uh, knowledge and a type of history and a type of story, right? Of being a black gay man, um, in Philadelphia at a time where, um, Philadelphia probably looked a lot different than it is that I'm experiencing than the Philadelphia that I'm experiencing as a black gay man or a black queer man. I'm interested in the the time that you've been here. If you could just like share um, some experiences of what it's like to 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 walk through the neighborhood in 2020, 20, sorry, in 2022, right? You can tell we've we've been having a few glasses of wine during this podcast. Um, juxtapositioned or in contrast with how these neighborhoods have, have evolved um, through the lens of, of a black gay person living in Philly. Well, one of the things I want to say is that there's a reason why I'm still here mm. um, because you learn how to survive in these communities. And something I've noticed about, because, you know, I'm part of two gay communities, New York and Philadelphia. And something I've noticed um, about some of the bars is that um, they have become much more um, inclusional, um, like there's one gay bar that people don't even call a gay bar anymore. Oh, I know. Because it's, you go in there and it looks like, it looks like, uh, it's gentrified. It's gentrified. Is that Woody's? Yes. Mm-hmm. How can see, Woody. I've lived here for two days and I know what you're talking about. There, it does seem like that's a trend in Philadelphia that 
um, the the gay and queer spaces seem to be becoming like popular. Yes, in a way where it feels like you're a tourist. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you one of the things, one of the reasons why I believe that is, um, a lot of straight women started coming to these gay clubs because they could come and they could wear the little barely there dress. And assume that they won't be and bothered. Exactly. Not be and then bothered. the men, caught, the exactly. cis men caught on to that. Yeah, they caught on to it and they started following them. And then they said, and then what happened was they discovered that this is where the party is. You know what I'm saying? Well, we, the, we're the girls. We've always exactly, had the party. Yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, we know when we talk about black joy, we know how to enjoy ourselves because we put up with so much oppression mm-hmm. uh, and so much negativity mm-hmm. to where we want to go to a place where where we don't experience that. And like I was at Level Up the other night, and I'm a great observer. Wait a minute. So you know, this is there's going to be a lot of pen listeners onto this yeah. episode. So tell the girls, the, the G I R L S, right? <laughs> tell those girls what Level Up is. It's a black space. <laughs> it's, a bla- it's a black space. It's blackity black. Yes, I just want to say a black. It's the only and black that, owned gay bar. That's what I. That's why I went there. Mm-hmm. Is because I wanted that experience. Yes. And sometimes I just sit there and I observe joy mm-hmm. because, like you said, you know, I'm a man of a certain age, so a lot of these these girls are a lot younger than me, and I just I see the difference between when I was their age and what they're doing now. And uh, there, there are a lot of similarities, and there's some differences, but it's all good. Mm-hmm. There's room for it all. Mm-hmm. And I watched the, um, the drag show, and they're so incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. And um, the things that they come up with as far as artistry and performance um, is, is just incredible. And, you know, I sit there with my drink and everything, and what happens is, usually if I sit there long enough, like yourself, someone will approach me. And we'll we'll just strike up a conversation. You know, it doesn't have to be anything. It doesn't have to be rocket science. Mm-hmm. It's just a conversation, and that's something um, also with the with um, smartphones. To just to sit and have a conversation with someone in a bar. It's a, you know when I was their age, you know we didn't we didn't have smartphones, so it was so you went to a bar, you know, to talk to people, to meet to people, and to hook up. So when you go to a place like Level Up and you watch a performance and you're not thinking about, you know, your, your cell phone, electronics and stuff, you know, and you're just thinking about having a good time, mm-hmm. dancing, you know, laughing, mm-hmm. just enjoying life for an hour or so. And it's so incredibly liberating. Mm-hmm. And, some, and that's why I love it. You know, and and uh, it was just like, and then I would see every once in a while, um, you know, a white, a white kid would come in and go, you know, I'm just like, you know, and I would watch them and I would be like, they, they came in and they want to experience that too, you know, and it's just that you always have that thing, you know, and it's like no one bothered them or anything, you know, and they either, they decided they wanted to stay mm-hmm. or it was too black for them and they left or it was, it was like, but this was, this is our place. This is our space. And this is, this is what you get. It's so enriching in that way. And it, I think it goes all the way back, uh, you know, to the tribes mm-hmm. of Africa and in, in the, uh, the beats and the rhythms. Um, and also the, the embodied experiences of us um, 
and our abilities as black people to create alternative worlds, right? Alternative like to, cre- worlds. to create joy in spite of, in spite and, of. and sometimes it's not in spite of, it's because of, because of. right. Um, and I, I hear you talking, uh, bringing up kind of um, a question of lineage, right? And also uh, when I say the archive, I'm thinking about the types of archives that we both hold in our story. So when I'm really fascinated about you sharing with us is how when you go into a place like Level Up, which is a black owned, um, blackity black space, uh, a queer space in Philly. Um, And when we think about black joy, I want to make that distinction about black queer joy because of how queer folks have been, you know, instrumental in creating these alternative worlds and reimagining spaces that were not designed for us. And then saying, look, this is where the girls come, right? And that mm-hmm. is for everybody black, right? Mm-hmm. And not just black people, because black joy is a form of knowledge um, and a type of embodiment that other people can, can be inspired and moved by, but that doesn't mean they should take it. But when you come into a space like Level Up um, in 2022, what do you think about in terms of how the queer spaces, queer black spaces in Philly have evolved? Um, because I hear you saying that, you know, you, you get joy from seeing how the girls that are maybe my age or younger are able to kind of come and experience a type of freedom in there. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, in just how you're articulating the type of joy that you're getting from, from entering into a space that maybe once was not around, you know? Well, I think it starts with the music. Yes, there was great music then, but there's also great music now. You know, we were just, we were just talking about, um, Chrisette Michelle. Chrisette Michelle, Kim. Um, I like Jasmine Sullivan. Yes. Um, these people, of course, um, um, Jill Scott and, and people, you know, she's sort of in that, in that middle ground. But it's just like, there's always going to be great artists, okay, music. And, um, but what, what it is, is like um, the rhythm of life is what I'm talking about. It's a, it's, um, how can I describe it? It's like a heartbeat. Mm. It's like the drums are like the rhythm of the soul. So it's like something that has a driving beat um, is what I find, you know, when I walk into Level Up. I know it's going to be some good music, you know, whether, whether it was from the 70s, the 80s, 90s, whatever, it's going to be good. And it's like, and you can tell, you can feel it, you know, because I watch people, you know, dance for like an hour straight without sitting down. Mm-hmm. It's like, because there's so... Uh, um, almost entranced uh, by the beat. And, uh, and it, it, I mean, it's just incredible. And it's, it's just a, a culture. You know, I watch, I watch the, um, the barmaids in the way that the way they move, the way they serve people, the way they flirt with people. And there's, type, there's a type right. of like familiarity. Familiarity. I watch everyone. I watch Reggie at the door. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and the fact that he remembered my name and I had not been there and probably over, um, maybe six months or something like, you know, and, um, and he just looked at me and he's like, Oh, Oh, Hey, Jolie. It's like, yeah. He's like, come on in, you know? And it's just that familiarity. It's like a family reunion. Mm-hmm. Wait. I am a, a huge reader of the late bell hooks. Um, who's one of my favorite authors. And she has an essay that I constantly uh, pick up, put down and pick up and put down in my work. Um, and it's a very, it's a moving essay that inspires me, not just in uh, my academic writing, but also in my, my art practice. And the essay is called The Home Place, A Site of Resistance. And really, she talks about the black home and the ways that we create home yes. as black people and how those spaces are like a site of resistance, um, how the joy, um, the freedom and the pleasure and the ability to just be 
in those spaces is is a is what it means to kind of resist white supremacy, right? And so in this world where we are kind of uh, riddled with white supremacy, sometimes the black home, right? And I'm also thinking about black queer spaces in this um, metaphor of home. Um, those are the spaces where we can go and kind of shield ourselves from this, you know, bullshit world that constantly degrades us, doesn't see us, doesn't think our hair is beautiful, uh, criticizes the way that we talk. So I'm interested in kind of uh, the other types of home places that you found in Philadelphia. I hear Level Up is one of them, but more broadly, I hear that it's it's Black queer spaces that make mm-hmm. you feel at home and that also um, are from which you kind of uh, get a type of joy. Mm-hmm. And I love, and I think that it's beautiful that you're saying that the joy is not just from in your body, but you get a joy from seeing other Black people maybe experiencing a type of freedom um, or, or practicing a type of freedom um, in a world where that's not always um, allowed, exactly. right? Well, another, another um, um, place of solace for me is yes. a Black church. Um, I also I sing in the choir at uh, Enon Tabernacle. Oh, that is your next interlude. You gonna give us a you gonna give us the choirs, <laughs> Marvin uh, Marvin Sapp. Never would have made it. Never would have made. It. That's my that's Never one of my favorite ones. Or um, my yes. testimony. Yeah, yeah. I was also but, a Mary Mary fan as a kid. Oh, Mary, Mary, Mary Mary was my teenage years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I love Leandria Johnson. It's my favorite right now. But um, going. To, you know, going to that church, whether whether what you believe or religious or whatever, there is a certain kind of joy mm-hmm. that I get from that, especially singing in the choir. We had a Christmas concert. Um, it was called Soulful Christmas mm-hmm. at the Kimmel Center. I can smell it. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the Kimmel Center. They cooked, right? Yeah, and it was so good. You know, even <laughs> it was like the. Uh, um, What's her name? The uh, uh, Mrs. The Ceremony. I can't think. The Kimmel Center is in right. Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. Well, it's a it's a big performing arts. It's like the Kimmel Center to Philadelphia is what Lincoln Center is to New York. Okay. And it's very highbrow. Okay. But not that night. And uh, um, she came out and she said, "We're gonna have church tonight in the Kimmel Center." And uh, and we did. And we had all these black pastors came out one after the other, and we sang and we sang and we sang. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. And we, we carry, and I tell you, when, when I leave after that singing, uh, after the preaching, after, you know, the praise breaks and the clapping and the fried chicken and the collard greens and all that, and I come out of that church and it's like, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. Yeah. Transcends and the, the it religiosity. Transcends, it, it, it's transcends, about spirituality right, and spirituality. home. And you're set for the rest of the week. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But that's how I feel when yeah. I leave Level Up. Yeah, that's you know? because well, that, as my that's, as yes, as my that's church as, too. Yes, that's church too. And and you know my my mother and my mentor Madison Moore, Doctor Madison Moore, would say that the Black Queer Dance Floor is also a form of church. As a matter of fact, I was at Level Up one night. Okay, take us to church. And no one of the queens sang a gospel song from Ricky <laughs> Dillard. <laughs> what song? And and turned it out. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but everybody knew that song. And we had double claps and everything. And it was like we had church that night. And it was and, and then I realized we're, it's part of the same world. It's not it's not separated. It's not different. And everybody knows that most of the choir directors in all these black churches are one okay. of the girls. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I love I love that that linkage of you know, black queer spaces and also black church, mm-hmm. because I think um, what we tend to 
not often uh, recognized is the connectivity between uh, Black cisgender women and us, right? The girls. And the ways in which that our our queerness, our femininity, our gender identity um, is rooted or comes from the black woman, right? Like as a as a child uh, who went on who went to church on and off, right? I was always so um, so so like you know just immersed. It's my first um, um, <coughs> exposure to what we know as femininity and what we know as as flamboyant, right? It wasn't on the body of the gay man or the queer man. It was it was black women. It yeah. was Karen Clark Sheard, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the big church hats, right? Um, you know, even Mary Mary to a certain extent, like just the performance uh, that was Sunday morning, right? And the transformation, right? Of, you know, my auntie, I can think of like Saturday night, you know, start ironing from, from seven o'clock, getting ready for church, uh, thawing the meat to come home and cook for after church. Like just the whole preparation, the production, the performance exactly. of it, right? That you was know, all flim. It was obvious. It was flamboyant, you know? You know, you have the whole setup. You say, the reverend says, uh, Sister Newkirk, could you, could you give us a selection this morning? And Sister Newkirk says, well, Reverend, I wasn't feeling well when I woke up this morning. But if y'all pray for me. Well... <laughs> I'll do what I can. She's like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I think about, um, there's a, there's a performing artist uh, who's based in New York. His name is Xander, who I am falling in love with. And one of the things that Xander said at an event that I was at a few weeks ago at the kitchen in New York, um, cause my sister has a residency there, Miss Madison Moore. Mm-hmm. And, um, she was giving a talk about all of these things, right. About the ways in which that, you know, our home places as black queer children, um, these spaces where we're surrounded by, by queerness, right. By flamboyance, by, by, uh, world building, right. How it doesn't always, um, it's not always acknowledged how these spaces fuel our creativity. And he said that, you know, I, I realized that I didn't have to leave parts of myself to become myself. Right. And I think that so much of us are conditioned to, uh, think that we have to leave these spaces to be our full self. And I think where I am in my life, it's about kind of, you know, going back, saying Kofa is an African proverb um, mm-hmm. about going back and reclaim, going back and reclaiming how these spaces are also queer spaces. Exactly. Right. You know, when I go back home to Texas, that's something I've, I've, uh, I've come to learn. I am who I am. And, um, and you, you know, you accept it or not. And so it's like, a lot of people think, you know, I, I moved to New York and then I became gay. No, I was always gay. <laughs> people think I, I went to college and became right, gay. Right. I, I was born. I was born this way. And um, even on Facebook, you know, I have um, I have friends from Texas, you know, a handful, you know, who who under, who really understand who I am and that I didn't all of a sudden change uh, when I moved. Uh, the things that changed about me changed for the better. So, um, and you know, it's a lot of it has to do with politics and, uh, um, ignorance. Um, but, but those people who, um, who are still my friends, you know, it's like, um, if you're not going to be my friend because of my sexuality, then we were never friends to begin with. We're going to take a little bit of a break so you can give us your, uh, your gospel interlude. Oh, the gospel in a little, a little dirty McClurkin. We fall down, 
But we get up, we fall down. But we get up, for a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. Okay, and we are back. Tell me more about spaces in Philly where you feel at home. Reading Terminal Market. Yes, take me there. Well, we can go in the morning. <laughs> no, I pretty much go there um, for breakfast every morning. And the reason why is because it's such a wonderful representation of Philadelphia. You can find anything, any kind of food you want to find, whether it's a cheesesteak, seafood, uh, pretzels, dessert, sweet potato pie, ribs. They got some black owned food in there? Yes, they do. And they have a sign of all the black owned and operated businesses. Uh, that are in the market. That are in the market. I like to go to this um, a place called the Dutch Eating Place. Mm-hmm. And the pancakes are big as the plate. And also people who are not from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I like to sit there and watch them try Scrapple for the first time. It's so funny. But then they order these pancakes. These pancakes come out and they're huge. And it's like what they wind up doing, you know, is eating one of them and taking the other one home. But um, it's great. It's great because um, and the and the what I love about this place is that it's a counter. And everybody's sitting close together. You know, I think it's it's about maybe 40 people. Okay. But because you're so close together, it lends itself to conversation. So it's very difficult to sit so close to another person and not talk. You know, it's like it's more difficult not to talk than to talk. I mean, I I love that because one of the things I have to be honest about that I have not experienced a lot in Philly is just that kind of like I miss the southern hospitality. You know, Mm -hmm. Richmond is not in the deep, deep south, but Richmond's in the south. It's enough where I mean, the way that you and I met, you know, just two two girls talking in a gay bar Mm -hmm. that happens a lot in Richmond. And I find Philly can be a little grungy, you know, and um, I'm interested in just like where are the spaces where we go to kind of make community, you know, in those kinds of ways where it's okay to talk to a stranger. I know it exists in Philadelphia, but like, where are the spaces where you have kind of experienced that type of, um, that kind of black hospitality? Ready Terminal Market is one of them. Where, where are your favorite uh, black spaces, black owned spaces in terms of uh, restaurants? Uh, Miss Tootsie's. Um, she just closed down. I know. Mm-hmm. It's like, so many of these places are closed and COVID has, has wreaked havoc. Uh, on a lot of these places. I did get nice right. and bougie the other day with my friend. You know, we put on a little lip and a heel and went to South. South. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I've never been there. Okay. Beautiful bar. South. Beautiful. Okay. As Aretha Franklin said, beautiful gowns. gowns. Beautiful gowns. Yeah. Gowns. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was giving um, black elegance, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, there's a time and a place for that. It's not uh, somewhere I would go regularly. Mm-hmm. Penn doesn't pay me that much, right, right. but it is a nice, um, very beautiful jazz cozy spot. And they seem to be always booked and busy too. Mm-hmm. Oh, another place. It's not really a sit down type of place. Oh, I love a uh, hole in the wall. <laughs> it's at uh, 40th and Lancaster. Okay. Uh, it's called quality taste. Oh, quality. The Jamaican yeah. spot. Yeah. Now the like service, to... right. but I'm Jamaican. So I can say that. Right. Right. Okay. Nobody else can. I can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, they just opened a new one. Okay. In my neighborhood. It's called Irie. Um, it's like um, 40th and Chestnut. Okay. But the thing is, it's a beautiful restaurant, but there's nobody in there yet. What so, do you mean, nobody? Nobody's well, going? 
Right. You walk by there and there's nobody. I guess nobody. people don't know about it yet, but I'd like to get the word out because it's a beautiful place. Well, part of the payment for this podcast is we will go yeah, uh, to, to we're gonna do that. We're gonna get Jamaican food on me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do that. There's another place actually called the Texas Wiener. And it's across the street. That's from, not Jamaican though. No, no, it's not Jamaican. It's um but it's very black because most of the customers are black. Okay. They go to it's a little it's a little greasy spoon, hole in the wall type place. Because I know that you like to cook too. Yes. Right. So take us into um, into your kitchen. What, what, are, what are we cooking on, on, a, on any given Sunday? Oh, on a Sunday? Well, I probably you cooking and watch a football game with the boys <laughs> or the girls. <laughs> the girls are coming over for dinner. What are you cooking? Uh, I like to cook oxtails. Okay, yeah. she, she's expensive now. I know that's only for the high for the. For bite, bite. That's for, for certain people girls. coming over. I probably do some um, some nachos. Um, I do some chicken wing. One of my favorite things to cook, I do like catfish with uh, collard greens and candy yams. And then my specialty okay. is pecan pie. Okay. Yeah. And I put a little dolce de leche. Don't give you a recipe because it's a lot of white people listening. Right. You know what I mean? You'll be walking up, you'll be walking to Reading Terminal Market and they'll be selling your pie. No. Where did you learn how to cook? I'm assuming there's, there's, a, there's a black mama behind there somewhere. Oh, my mother. My mother was an excellent cook. Mm-hmm. And so much so that um, when she baked pies, shout out to the black t- women who can't cook because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know any of. Do you know any? Yes, <laughs> not yes. <laughs> but you know, for the black mamas out there who can't cook, we love you just the same. We love you. I just I don't mama. know her. You know, I really don't. It's like I need to interview a black woman who can't cook or who just doesn't cook. Because yeah, some when, of them don't. Yeah, when I think about good food, I think about all my aunties. You know, and I, I have an uncle who can who can really do some some mean uh, grilled jerk chicken mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a bread pudding. My uncle, my uncle Charlie can do a, oh, yeah. bread, a bread. I have pudding. a cousin. I have a cousin, Ricky. He does the brisket. <sighs> OK. And my uncle Charlie does a, um, a yeah. potato bread pudding. Have you ever had that? Mm-hmm. My mother's pies were so good that when she took them, you know, to the church or the fellowship hall, mm-hmm. the church ladies would hide them to take home. So that nobody else oh, I've done that. Pudding. I've done that. No, it was so good. It's, it's like, is this Lurleen's pie? And they hired it. Right. <laughs> we said that we we're going to do a little segment where we we're going to give quotes, quotes, quotes about our joy, quotes that, um, that, that have resonated with us from folks that we love. Oh, my mother. Oh, um, a white lady once told my mother, she said to my mother, she says, if there's going to be any niggers in heaven, I don't want to go. And my mother said to, oh, don't worry, honey, with that in your heart, you ain't going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, my auntie Sharon, we were at um, her house sitting on the on the bedroom floor, just just kikiing and cackling. And her son was talking some mess. And she said, stop talking to me, stupid, because you're not. (laughs) <laughs> only an auntie can give a compliment words of affirmation and stop talking to me crazy and you know being from texas is a lot of texas sayings mm-hmm. tell me one you have you know oh, you get up out of bed you know and you and comb your hair but she tell me she say and uh, uh my aunt vert she would say oh you need to go back to bed <laughs> she goes you look like death sucking on a pickle <laughs> so think about being an artist is like if you tell someone you are a nurse mm-hmm. they believe you mm-hmm. right away but if you say you're an actor, thing, they don't really believe you. It's kind of like 
well, what have I seen you in? Mm -hmm. Because if it's like, if you haven't been in a major motion picture, then you're not really an actor. Mm -hmm. It's that, it's that sort of thing, that sort of ignorance. And, um, you know, the theater was here thousands of years before film was even thought about. And I want to go back to something you said. Um, why is it that you, that you feel so connected to, uh, the character in Fences? Gabriel, right? Yeah, Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Gabriel, blow your horn. Well, there's a lot um, that can be said about um, how the spiritual world influences what we do in this world. And sometimes it comes to us in a dream, and you might not really understand it, and you, and you try to interpret it. What does this mean? What does that mean? I want to use an example of um, before, before my mother um, went on to glory, I had a dream of her being in like um, a, a bright white light, mm. all the light, you know? Mm. And uh, we were sitting, she used to love to watch soap operas, and we were sitting watching soap my operas. My grandmother does. Yeah. yeah. And there was somebody knocking on the door, and she said, baby, go and see who that is. And I went to the door, this is in the dream, and there was nobody there. And she said, well, go outside and see who it is. And I went outside, and when I went outside, I was walking around our house in Texas, and uh, day turned to night and I walked around the house and when I got all the way around the house then, you know, I saw my mother in this bright white light and, uh, and she said to me in this white light she said mother has to go home now mm. and, um, and a week later she passed away but then on my birthday my birthday is on the 9th of April which by the way is the same day that Dr. King was buried and uh, I used to have a recurring dream. And one of the dreams was I was in a cornfield and um, a phone was ringing. And I answered the phone and it was mother. And she said, baby, what are, you, what are you doing with your life? I said, I'm still doing the performing arts. And she said, oh, that's good. Mm. And then she said, you better go now because you've got lots of work to do. And I would have this same dream um, every year. And, um, and with the char character Gabriel, He's always talking to these people who are in heaven, who've gone on, you know, and people look at him like strange. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the play, what happens is his brother dies and he sees him uh, entering the gates of heaven. And then at the end, everybody sees what he sees. So I think it's, it's sort of like it's about belief. If you believe in something, it's like I used that movie King Richard, the Williams sister's father. He believed in them so much. That he refused to let go of that dream. He had a manifestation. Right, he had a manifestation, mm -hmm. and they became what was manifested. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. Our parents, right? When we think about our parents and how they've gone on to be ancestors, and how we still kind of communicate with them, um, I find that the manifestation that uh, he was able to kind of see in his daughters, it speaks to the ways that oftentimes our loved ones, our black family, right? Um, chosen and biological are able to kind of see our bodies in a world that is not yet here. Exactly. Right. And so there's a part of Afrofuturism that, that takes place um, through daily practice mm -hmm. where if we really listen to those dreams, we're able to kind of put our bodies in alternative worlds, right? Like someone saw level up before it was possible exactly. for that to be a space. And now we're talking about how this black queer space um, in Center City look brings at, us a type of joy. Look at Tyler Perry, who was homeless at one time. Mm -hmm. He saw in his mind, 
these studios where he now. was going. Right, yeah. exactly. My fa- my father was a real black Texas cowboy. Really. And when I um when I decided what I wanted to do, I'll never forget it. He said, uh, "Boy, you sure you want to? You sure you want to be an actor?" I said, "Yes, sir." He said to me, "God damn it, then they be the best at it." And so that's that's the motto I live by: be the best at it. You know, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's August Wilson or Shakespeare, or Chekhov, or or Alice Walker. I love what you said about about Gabriel. It gives me um, inspiration to kind of think about the question for myself in terms of what characters um, do I feel very deeply connected to. But as we think about Afrofuturism and we think about um, centering the the radical black imagination and in, in all its boundlessness mm-hmm. i'm very um interested in just hearing you talk a little bit about what do you what do you dream about and what are you manifesting right now as a, a performer and an artist that lives in philadelphia um and who's constantly you know thinking about shows and and, and acting um and embodying different black characters right mm-hmm. how is all that connected to what you're manifesting well First and foremost, an actor is a storyteller, and it goes all the way back to Africa and being storytellers. And I just want to, what I'm working on is, is telling some of the greatest stories ever written. Mm-hmm. I want to, because um, I've been doing theater for a long time, and I want to cross over into um, to film. And, uh, and I want to work, work with some of the people who I admire uh, very much, like Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, many of these people, you know, you know, they didn't, they didn't wake up uh, being the stars that they are. And, you know, they had, they had struggles. They had uh, uh, to get there. And I, I have a friend, you know, he's making a Broadway debut right now in Chicago. And, uh, and I, I want to play Othello on Broadway. It's one of my dreams. And uh, I want to work uh, at the Royal Shakespeare Company in London. When I leave this earth, I want to, make, I want to have make, uh, made a mark as one of those people um, who was one of the greatest storytellers. As far as our stories, like as, as far as the classics are concerned, because I am very, I am very versatile. And uh, there's, a, there's a quote that I love. Uh, it says, let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. It's just being about becoming more human and taking these stories and bringing us more together, you know, than we are apart. Because when you, when you leave a play or a movie and, you know, why do you go? Why do you go? It's, it's, it holds a mirror up to life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just want to have that platform to where that mirror just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And we're able to see the whole world in one story. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I work toward. That's beautiful. Maybe a, a, a line from Gabriel. Very simple line. It's the last line in the play. Gabriel says, that's the way that go. There you go. <laughs> Jolie, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing a multitude of stories tonight. What I want you to do as we close out is leave the girls um, with ways that they can support you um, through Cash App, Venmo, or coming to your next show. Well, let me tell you something. If you, if you will come to the neighborhood on Friday night, 
He said, you're going to see me somewhere. <laughs> uh, they just, just come on in. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing this show. Um, it's in Wilmington, Delaware. It's just a hop and a skip uh, from Philadelphia. But uh, I'm doing William Shakespeare's The Tempest. I'm playing the lead uh, this summer. And I would really love for the girls to come out and see that and uh, have that cultural experience and see the, the, uh, um, the range that I have. Mm. The transition, right, exactly, the range that I have, you know, uh, because, you know, I can go from, you know, being a social butterfly um, at Taboo one night and, uh, and, and, and the, uh, the lead in the Shakespeare play the next night. So, and then, and then we'll talk about um, all the other things uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, that you're interested in uh, as far as, you know, maybe spending summering in the Hamptons. <laughs> we can do that too this has been such a pleasure and uh, just remember to smile when you look in the mirror smile and say to yourself I am enough Jolie thank you so much for coming on Black Matter Podcast thank I you. want to thank uh, the Center for Media at Risk at the University of Pennsylvania for supporting my work and I want to thank everybody black in Philadelphia and beyond thank you for having me Before you go, I want to remind all my listeners to Black Matter Podcast, both old and new, that this episode is a part of a four-episode series supported by the Center for Media at Risk at the University of Pennsylvania to capture and archive and share Black Joy stories in Philadelphia and beyond. So stay tuned for the next episode featuring yours truly, and you'll just have to wait and see who the next guest is. Thanks, y'all.